Good morning. Hacksaw Ridge is a movie based on the life and bravery of Army medic Desmond Doss, uh, which took place uh, his life he lived during the time of World War II. Desmond was a soldier who refused to bear arms and thus entered the war with nothing to protect himself except his Bible and his faith in God. Some of you are probably familiar with this movie. Um, and for those of you that are or that aren't, uh, he was a conscientious objector who entered the military but refused to carry a rifle. During the bloody battle of World War II, Desmond single-handedly evacuated approximately 75 men from behind enemy lines without firing a single shot or carrying a gun. The fight took place on a battlefield located at the top of a 400-foot cliff nicknamed Hacksaw Ridge, which was fortified with machine guns and booby traps. The key to winning the battle was its location. The mission was thought to be near impossible, and when Doss's battalion was ordered to, to retreat, the medic refused to leave his fallen soldiers behind. Facing heavy machinery and gunfire, Doss repeatedly ran into the kill zone, carrying wounded soldiers to the edge of the cliff and single-handedly lowered, lowered them down to safety. Each time he saved the man's life, Doss prayed out, Lord, please help me get one more. By the end of the night, he had saved about 75 men. Desmond became the first conscientious objector in American history to be awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. Desmond is remembered for demonstrating bravery, compassion, and love for his fellow soldiers. Growing up, Desmond's son, Desmond Jr., says he heard the tale of his father's heroics many times. Despite knowing the story's facts, Desmond Jr. says he recalls asking his father a personal question about that night. What on earth were you thinking, he asked, and I never really got the answer I was looking for. Even at a very private, intimate level, Doss Sr. just wanted to give glory to God and never seemed to acknowledge his own role. I remember the first time I watched this movie. I was moved. But I was also asking myself, what motivates a man to put his life on the line for the sake of saving others? As the movie ended, I realized that it was Desmond's faith in God that moved him to hold fast to his fellow soldiers through all the danger, loving them even if it came at the cost of his own life. Our passage for, for today reminds me of the life of Desmond Doss in that it reminds us of the identity that Christians have as children of God, but the relationship that we have with other believers, specifically our fellow church members, who are more than just Christians, they are family. The privilege of becoming children of God comes with the responsibility of caring for our fellow brothers and sisters when they are in danger, when they go astray and turn away from Christ. My desire this morning is that we would be reminded of Christ's great love for us and as a result, be moved to see ourselves as our brother's keeper. 
that you and I would see the responsibility that we have to care for each other, especially if someone finds themselves drifting away from Christ. If you're taking notes this morning, the main idea is this. Christian, be on the lookout for wandering church members for the sake of bringing them back to the truth. Be on the lookout for wandering church members for the sake of bringing them back to the truth. And we have two points this morning. The danger of wandering from the truth and the call to restore wanderers to the truth. The danger of wandering from the truth and the call to restore wanderers to the truth. This is what we find in our text today. And so I invite you to open your Bibles with me to James chapter 5 where we will be wrapping up our time together here in the letter of James, which for some reason I kept referring to in previous months, or in the last couple of months we've been in the book of James, but I went back and I looked at the schedule, and I realized that we started this letter uh, two years ago. <laughs> but by the grace of God, we are here, and we get to listen to what God has to say, say to us through James. So James 5, 19 and 20, listen as I read God's word. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James wrote his letter to Jewish Christians who were scattered among the nations. He wrote his letter to encourage them to live out their faith and did so by describing what saving faith looks like in daily living. This is what we've been um, highlighting throughout our time together in this letter. Um, in other words, genuine faith is not just about claiming to believe in God. It's about actually walking with him. It's about obeying what he says. It's what Jesus once asked those who were following him on one occasion uh, after he provided the multiplication of bread and fish and, and the multitudes were after him. And he came to a point where he made a distinction and he asked, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? And so James wants us to know what a true living faith looks like. And in a way, James, the letter of James, serves as a way for us to test our faith, to ensure that we have a genuine faith. Um, and as we look back at the letter, we see how James began writing to encourage believers in their own lives as they encountered trials and difficulties when uh, they found themselves uh, experiencing uh, hardships. And if you remember the purpose of trials and purposes back in chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, uh, is that the purpose is that they make us mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. In other words, it makes us more Christ-like. And as we come to the end of James, we find that a living faith, a mature faith, is one that resembles the object of our faith. Jesus Christ, in the way that we love his people, even as he loves us. 
And this brings us to our first point, the danger of wandering from the truth. The danger of wandering from the truth. Notice the way James begins this section. He writes, My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. James addresses Christians as he writes, My brothers. It's interesting that James addresses believers as brothers or my brothers at least eight times in his letter. I believe this gives it much importance. Um, James refers to believers as family. That is the closest earthly bond that exists. It is a special relationship that distinguishes one group of people from another. For believers, when Christ saves us, he saves us out of the world and he saves us into his family, into the kingdom of God, into the people of God. And specifically, he saves us into local churches. Regardless of the differences that we hold, whether it's language, ethnicity, upbringing, finances, education, when Christ saves his people, he saves them into his family, into local churches that make up a spiritual family, which in essence creates a stronger, a stronger bond than even blood relation uh, uh, gives us. So First Baptist Church, I want to remind you that as members of the body of Christ, as members of this local body, we have been given a unique relationship, not just with God, but also with our brothers and our sisters sitting next to us, who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. I wonder if this is how you see one another. It's important for us to remember the truth of our identity, that we are all in Christ if we have repented and believed. We have been adopted into his family and have been given this unique relationship with our brothers and sisters. This is the way that we ought to see one another. It's foundational for Christian living, especially if you desire to take your call as church members as seriously as the Bible does. One of the reasons that God calls us to cherish and embrace our identity as brothers and sisters in the context of the local church is because of the blessing it is in our own spiritual life. Here, that blessing is the blessing of security and help when we find ourselves wandering from the truth. Because the Bible teaches that believers can wander from the truth. This is what James is telling us. So Christians can wander. You see this here in verse 19. If anyone among you wanders from the truth. The word wander here means to stray or to drift away, to get out of the right path. As a single man, I used to think leashes for children were one of the silliest inventions. Kind of cute when you see like the little monkey with the long tail, but silly still nonetheless. I thought to myself, leashes are for dogs, not for kids. That was until... I had my, my son. If you have a child or if you have children or have ever taken care of one, you know that children are prone to wander. You can't blame children for it. 
it just kind of happens because of their innocence or because they haven't learned enough about the world. But it doesn't just happen to children. It happens to adults all the time. It's easy to wander. I find this true in my life when I go grocery shopping. It's very easy to lose focus and to be carried away by something else. Going to the grocery store with a set list for me then turns into a two-hour trip looking at different fruits and different cereals that are healthy and different options of milk and yogurt. It, 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 it happens so easily. And James tells us that it's possible for believers to wander in the Christian life. From being where you're supposed to be, seeking the Lord, obeying Him, walking in fellowship with others, gathering with the local church, to ignoring Him due to being distracted or to being uh, tempted to disobey. This can happen to any Christian, to any church member, whether church member or leader. In my 15 years of being saved, I have seen many Christians stray away. In one season of life, they attended faithfully, and the next moment, they were nowhere to be found, either because they got a new job, got in a new relationship, got entangled with sin, but they wandered off, creating a habit of neglecting to meet one another with God's people. So we see that Christians can wander, but also notice what James says the wandering is from. He says that it's wandering from the truth or from the truth of the gospel. This is important for us to know because of the numerous warnings found in Scripture. Take Hebrews 2.1, for example, which says that we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. How do Christians wander from the truth? I believe that it can happen in at least two ways. Christians can wander in their belief and in their behavior. In their belief and in their behavior. Recently, I was browsing through social media and I saw a video pretty funny video, sad but funny, uh, of a man who had just arrived at home. He pulled up in his pickup truck, which was on a slight uphill. His home was on a slight uphill. And as the man pulled up, he hopped out of his car to move his trash bins. And as he did so, his truck started to roll back slowly. In shock, the man tried to get back into the truck, but it was too late. The truck ended up into a ditch. While I found it funny, it could have been avoided if he had simply put his car in park. He was distracted, and he hopped out, and presumably he put his car on neutral. And before he knew it, his truck was, it fell off the cliff. This can happen to any one of us if our faith is not parked or is not grounded in Christ. If your faith is not actively set on Christ, you will begin to drift away. Your heart will begin to wander. 
When we hear of Christians drifting away, we tend to think that it happened overnight. In reality, it doesn't happen that way. It is usually the result of small, gradual decisions that one makes. When it comes to wandering away in our beliefs, it can happen when one begins to make the small, gradual decision to not be in the Word. One may reason, it's only for today, I'll get back to it tomorrow. And before you know it, you stop filling your mind with God's Word. It's only a matter of time before it begins, your mind begins to drift away. Not filling your mind and heart uh, might seem innocent or not dangerous, but brothers and sisters, being in neutral, in a neutral state of mind will lead you to be easily tempted by falsehood and lies, especially in a culture that's striving hard to oppose God in all aspects of life. Think of some of the dangerous lies out there. The prosperity gospel, which promises wealth and health. Liberal theology, which focuses on feelings over truth. You don't need to sit and listen to false teachers to adopt these lies. All you need to do is spend countless hours scrolling mindlessly on social media long enough, watching TV long enough, being surrounded by ideas your culture is trying to get you to adopt long enough. And if your mind is not grounded in truth, you can soon find yourself beginning to buy into it. You slowly drift away, neglecting the truths of God's word and adopting the lies of the world. Not only can we drift away in our beliefs, but those beliefs can then lead us to drift away in our behavior. When you begin to believe lies, your heart will soon follow and it will become evident in the way that you live. You begin to flirt with sin. Flirting with it can then lead to embracing sin. And after you embrace it, you get comfortable in it. Obedience to God becomes disobedience. You go from worshiping the God of creation to worshiping His creation and making a God out of it. Drifting away does not necessarily mean that you reject, flat out reject God for Satan. It can be that you replace God even for something good, like relationships, jobs, sports. What you prioritize in your own life becomes not God, but other good things, which then make those things sinful. The problem is when you make secondary things primary things, when you give your love to these things. Brothers and sisters, be diligent. Be on guard. First Baptist Church, brothers, sisters, have you noticed anyone missing lately? Maybe they're physically here but are checked out spiritually. 
Maybe you've taken up the practice of praying through the directory and know nothing about members in it because you haven't seen him or her in a long time. Have you considered calling? Texting? Brothers and sisters, we ought to strive to be the kind of believers that are concerned about our brothers and sisters, that care about our siblings who are missing at the dinner table, missing out on family time, on the joy of spending time with one another and doing good to one another where it's safe at home. Make it part of your discipline to be on the lookout for those who may be wandering off. So James tells us the danger that Christians face in wandering off. So how are we to respond? We see this in the second part of verse 19. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The call to restore wanderers to the truth. The call to restore wanderers to the truth. Whenever I try to take on DIY projects at home, I find it helpful to not only read instructions, but also to watch videos on YouTube to get a better grasp of what I'm doing, especially if I've never done whatever it is that I'm doing before. Similarly, how are we to help our Christian siblings who wander off? The first thing we do is we look at Jesus. If you turn with me to Matthew 18, Matthew 18, verses 12 through 20, we find a parable of the lost sheep. And here we read, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. In other words, Jesus says that he cares about his sheep. He cares about his people. When we notice someone who has gone astray, the first question on our minds should not be, oh, maybe they weren't a Christian. Oh, maybe God, yeah, if they're not a Christian, God might not care about them. Because here Jesus says, it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish, right? We shouldn't think, oh, yeah, that sheep was a little annoying, so yeah, it's probably okay if they go off. Or, yeah, they're kind of difficult. Uh, yeah, maybe they can find another church. No. Our response should be, where are they? Because Jesus cares for his people. In other words, he says, I will not forget about my people. Christians have been given the comfort of having a loving God who loves us and cares for us, even when we find ourselves far from home, 
lost and in need of help. The Lord is a good shepherd who came to seek and to save the lost, who carried us on his shoulder and brought us home when we were dead in our sins, and who continues to do that when we wander off and are enticed by sin. By sin. So we look to Jesus as our motivation, but how does he save his people when they wander? Well, sometimes God does this himself. He will use his power, his wisdom, his knowledge, and he will save people himself. But James here tells us that God also does this by means of his people. God uses his children as a means to save his people when they wander. Notice that again, James does not say pastors. If you notice that a member has gone astray, you do this, though pastors should. James is writing to the church, and he says, If anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back. This means that we all have a responsibility in caring for one another. This is why I titled the sermon, My Brother's Keeper. Back in Genesis, when we read of Cain murdering his brother, God drew near an effort to give Cain an opportunity to confess his sin by asking him, Cain, where is your brother? Just like he did with, with Adam when he disobeyed. Adam, where are you? What have you done? Did you eat from the tree? It was an opportunity to confess sin. But instead of confessing his sin, Cain responded with a very proud and arrogant question. Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, is Abel my responsibility? Isn't he yours? He revealed to have a hateful, indifferent heart towards his own brother. Brothers and sisters, look next to you. These church members of FBC are your responsibility. They're my responsibility. If we belong to Christ, he calls us to care for one another. We ought to look forward to the day when we stand before our Savior, where we will be able to look to one another and say, by the grace of God, we made it. And we do this by caring for one another. Of course, we depend on the Lord, but the Lord also uses his people to bring his people all the way home. And what is the goal of this? Well, the goal of going after our wandering siblings is restoration. Did you notice what we bring them back to? James says, if someone wanders from the truth, we bring them back to the truth. To bring back a wandering uh, believer to the truth means to bring back to a proper belief or to a proper conduct. It is to turn someone from going in the wrong direction to go in the right direction. We do this to go, uh, we do this because, because to go in the wrong direction spiritually is to go in the di direction of danger. 
Proverbs 132 through 33 says this, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. In other words, wandering off or wandering away places one on the pathway to danger. The word used for soul here in James 5, um, where we read, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The word used for soul here is also a word that is used for life. So, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his life from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James is not saying that a believer who goes down this dangerous path of death will die eternally or will lose his salvation because that is inconsistent with Scripture. The Scripture gives to us comfort in that salvation is a work of God. It begins with God and it ends with God. That is the comfort that we have. There is a beautiful doctrine in Scripture uh, that is the doctrine of eternal security. It means that God begins a good work in our lives and he brings it to completion. Okay? But here, James is saying that the person who goes astray, their life is in danger. And when one goes down the path, this path, it is the path that can lead even to physical death. Paul writes about this danger in 1 Corinthians 11, 30-32, where in context, it is of partaking of the Lord's Supper in a way that we ought not to. That is, while living in sin, not valuing the, the, the sacrifice of Christ. And Paul writes, this is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly or rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Brothers and sisters, God is a holy God. And He calls us to be holy because He is holy. Our Christian walk ought to be taken Seriously, it is one where we see sin and we do not give ourselves the luxury of flirting with it, of playing with it, of seeing how far off into the edge we can get without falling off, depending on our own strength. It's when we see sin, when we see lies, we don't, we, we don't entertain them, but we turn from them because of the danger that comes with playing with fire. Brothers and sisters, when you make yourself available to help your siblings who are wandering from truth, you are saving them from this danger, which comes with consequences, with, which may include even physical 
death because consequences follow our decisions. So helping the wandering protects other believers from physical death, but it also covers a multitude of sins. This is what James says. He says, um, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Peter writes of this as well in 1 Peter 4, 8. And the context discussed in Peter's letter is, the context is the love and forgiveness that believers ought to have for one another. Christians are to treat believers as Christ treats us when we go astray. That is, we aim to restore out of love for our fellow brother and sister. We do, when we do so, we help them fight the guilt and the shame that can oftentimes get in the way of a wanderer from coming back to the Lord. When a person wanders, and I've had conversations with them, one of the things that I commonly find is, what are they going to say? And that is the people, the church members. What are they going to think of me? Is God willing to forgive me? Will he accept me? Brothers and sisters, in the, in the call to go out and to bring back a wanderer, it is important to have a right heart posture. We don't go out there with anger or being uh, uh, with uh, complaining, saying, Ugh, I could be worshiping with God's people, but here I go having to come after you again. That's a wrong heart posture. We don't go and we throw their sins out in front of them and say, hey, you see, man, you're a sinner. Yeah, you got to earn your way back. We go to our brother and to our sister covering a multitude of sin. That is, we don't hide their sin. We don't make less of their sin. But we address their sin so, and we help them see it rightly. For what? so that they can confess their sin and turn away from it. Knowing that when we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we draw near to the wanderer, not to expose their sin and to let more people know than should know, we cover their sin by bringing them back to the one who ultimately forgives and washes us clean. This is the ministry of restoration where we build one another up for the good of our brother and for our sister and for the glory of God. So how can we do this practically? Well, the first thing that we ought to do is we ought to pray. Pray for the Lord to soften your brother or your sister's heart. Pray that the Lord would be at work by His Spirit, bringing the truth of God's Word to their heart and to their mind. Pray that they would lose sleep. Pray that, pray that whatever uh, lie they are embracing or, or, or beginning to, to walk after, that it would leave a bitter taste in their mouth so that they would see the falsehood and the danger that it is. 
But not only pray for your brother's heart, pray for your own heart, that you would be gentle, speaking the truth in love, that you would walk, that you would walk in the footsteps of Christ and see your brother or your sister with eyes of compassion, with love, and bring them back to the truth in love. And if you lack wisdom, well, James has already told us about that. If any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously. Ask for wisdom, pray for wisdom, and God will give you wisdom because it is not his will that any one of his little ones should perish, right? So Jesus tells us that when we ask according to God's will, he will answer. So these are the kinds of prayers that God answers for the good of his people. So number one, pray. But number two, reach out. Like Desmond Dawes from Hacksaw Ridge, we ought to have a mentality of no man left behind. When we notice someone's heart getting cold, giving their mind and heart to someone other than God, we step in, take the initiative to go after our siblings for the sake of Christ. In following our Savior Jesus, we go after our brothers and our sisters, even carrying them on our shoulders if needed and bringing them back to truth. Now, I'm not saying you do that literally, but if the case requires, you might get some help, but do whatever you need to do to bring them back because this is a serious calling. It might require more than a text or a phone call. It might mean sacrificing time and resources to put it on your schedule and drive out, visit, and point your brother or sister to the truth. I love the parable of the Good Samaritan for different reasons, but one of the reasons is that it, it shows us the great lengths to which Christ himself went to save us. And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we see that the Good Samaritan used his own resources at his own expense for the good of his neighbor. Isn't this what Jesus has done for us? As he left his throne in heaven, as he left his majesty, the honor and the glory, the reverence that he's given by the angels 24 hours a day to leave all that behind and to come even at the expense of his own life to seek and to save the lost. That's what he's done for us, brothers and sisters. And so just as he left his throne and reached out, we ought to leave our own places of comfort and go out and seek those who are wandering. What a wonderful God we have who was all wise in establishing the local church. This is a blessing of being a church member. It is that in God's wisdom, he has placed us into a church family where we not only spur one another on to love and good works, but also we go out and rescue each other when we drift away. Caring for the lost in evangelism is one important of being a Christian, but so is caring for the wandering as we restore them. It's also an important part of being a Christian. 
I've often referred to our church covenant in the sermon series, but it's only because I believe that scripture calls us to practice meaningful church membership as part of our obedience to Christ. So I want to point you back to the church covenant once again, because this is what, if you're a member of this church, this is what you and I have covenanted, what we have promised before God and one another. And listen to just a few of these promises. We will exercise a Christian care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully warn, rebuke, and admonish one another as the case shall require. We will participate in each other's joys and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will endeavor by example and effort to win souls to Christ. And through life amidst evil report and good report, we will seek to live to the glory of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, being a Christian, being a church member, is not something that we do passively. It's something that we are called to be active in. It's not just a Sunday morning activity. It's a lifestyle. And this is what Christ calls us to. He calls us to build one another up, but also to be on the lookout for one another from the dangers that are out in the world. If you are not a Christian and you are visiting us this morning, we praise God for your life. We're glad that you're with us this morning. You're probably thinking, well, this sermon wasn't for me because I'm not a Christian and I'm not a church member. But the sermon, in fact, is also for you because God has created you. This is the purpose for which you were created. You were created to live with God in relationship with God. But the Bible tells us that we have all individually, willingly rejected God. We have turned away from God. We have each gone our own way, going astray, choosing everything that God created except for God himself. And in our straying away, the Bible calls this sin. And the Bible says that one day we will all have to stand before God in judgment for rejecting him. But the good news of the gospel is that God is a saving God. God is a God who loves wanderers. He loves those who reject him and go off on their own. And he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world specifically to save all who belong to him, all who repent of their sin, see their sin rightly and turn to him. God will not cast you away. The good news of the gospel is that if you believe in Jesus, the son of God, who laid down his life on the cross for you, he will forgive you for everything you've ever done, primarily of rejecting God because every other sin comes from that. God promises to forgive you and to welcome you into his family, adopting you as a child and making sure that you make it all the way home until the end. Brothers and sisters, this is what James calls us to do. 
But this still leaves us with one unanswered question that some of you may be asking yourselves. What about those who don't return from the truth? Have they lost their salvation? What happens if I go after someone and they continue to reject my, my efforts, they re continue to reject uh, the church's efforts to call them to repentance? Did they lose their salvation? Well, the Bible teaches that, I mentioned earlier, that there is a security that believers have because salvation does not rest ultimately on our faithfulness or our own obedience. It rests on the faithfulness of God. But the Bible also warns us that it is possible to attend church. It is possible to be a church member it is a po it's possible to do Christian things and not be a believer. Because we have the parable of the soils, which show us that it's only a matter of time before the heart of either a true believer or a non-believer is revealed. And 1 John 2.19 tells us this regarding those who go astray and don't return. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Brothers and sisters, wandering off is, is a reality that happens in every church because there is no perfect church. Sadly, in the life of FBC, we've had at least two cases where this has happened, where the church, by God's grace, has made the effort to go out after them, to try to win them back to Christ, which, with pleading, trying to reason with them, but ultimately, one chose to, 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 to neglect or to reject truth, and another one, specifically out of love for behavior. One was belief, one was behavior. Ultimately revealing the state of the heart. That is, unless they, unless they still repent, which there is time as long as there is life. But brothers and sisters, James in his letter has been trying to get us to cultivate a real living faith. Faith is not just a matter about believing the right things, about saying the right things, because that does not save us. It is, what do those beliefs do to your heart? Have they, have they, do they reveal themselves by producing the fruit of righteousness that doesn't come from you, it comes from the Spirit? In other words, do you give yourselves to taking the word of God for what it is, which is that what the, the most important that we need for, for life and godliness. God has promised to help us by his spirit to have a living faith. And we've already seen that God is a merciful God who is quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to anger. So when we do fall short, we repent and we put our trust in Jesus. When we see our brothers and sisters falling short or wandering off, we bring them back to Jesus and we say, repent and receive his forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is about having a living faith. And God, by his spirit, through his son, gives this to us if we believe in Jesus Christ and follow after him. I think this is what Jesus has been, what James, sorry, has been getting us to see, that faith is more than just believing the right things. It's actually living it out. So may the Lord help us to be believers and uh, followers of his truth for his glory and for our good.